before. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition so you will not grow weary and lose heart. Good morning, everyone. Now, we're going to be in Hebrews 11 today, but before we get to that, I was handed a very important note that I want to share with you uh, out in the foyer this morning. This was handed to me. A couple weeks ago, I asked the question, why is letting a cat out of the bag called letting a cat out of the bag? So someone was kind enough to print this up for me. It looks like out of maybe a, some type of a dictionary of phrases. So I want to share this with you so we all know. Cat out of the bag. Uh, it says, what is the reason a person who divulges a secret is said to have let the cat out of the bag? It's because it was once a custom for farmers to bring a suckling pig to market in a bag. Sometimes, however, a farmer would substitute a cat for the, a pig. If the townsman was foolish enough to buy the pig in the bag without first looking inside, he was cheated out of his money. But if someone let the cat out of the bag, the deceit was uncovered. So no matter what, you will not go home today from church saying that you didn't learn something. Okay? Now, last week we were in Hebrews chapter 10. And, and, and as we are now at this point where we can kind of see the end of the book of Hebrews, we, we realize we only have three weeks left that we are going to be reading from this letter. And today as we start in chapter 11, what, what we're going to see is that, like we've seen so often in the, the letter to the Hebrews, is that the letter is laid out very methodically, that it's laid out very perfectly, it's all laid out to make, again, this, this great presentation uh, that is being made to Jewish believers. And as the presentation is being made, what we see is that one chapter seamlessly flows into the, into the next. I've pointed this out to you several times before, and I do it again because I think it's important to help remind us that this is not a collection of notes that is all mushed up together in order to form this larger work. This was one letter that was written with a clear purpose, and that purpose is to convince the readers again that Jesus Christ is above all. He's greater than anything you have ever known. Right? Jesus is not your best option, but Jesus is indeed your only option. There, there is no plan B. It's, it's Christ or it's nothing. And last week when we, we looked at chapter 10, things got a little bit scary. We looked at a couple verses that when we let them stand alone, definitely could frighten us. But I think it's a very important warning, this, this reminder or this warning to not let intentional sin fester and remain in our lives. Right? We can't see intentional sin in our lives as something that is harmless or something that is just silly. We have to realize and recognize that, that it is something that can drag us out into deep, dangerous waters that can get us to a point where we're no longer able to find our way home. 
One thing we did not touch base on in chapter 10, though, is the closing of that chapter. And in the closing of chapter 10, it just flows so perfectly into chapter 11. It sets us up for everything that we're going to read today. So before we get into 11, we're going to start uh, in Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 39. I'd recommend if you have your Bible, please open there. If you have an iPad or a phone, you can open your Bible app there. That is great as well. Of, Of course, the scripture will be behind me. But as we walk through chapter 11 today, uh, we're going to summarize some sections of the book as we walk through it. And I prefer you to have the scripture in front of you so you're not just taking my word as to what is written there. But as we begin chapter 10, verses 35 through 39, it says this. It says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God... You may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and and preserve their souls." You see, all of that scary stuff that we read in chapter 10 last week, Right, that, that important but worrying reminder that we had about deliberate sin. But then as the author is going to transition out of that warning, he, he finds it necessary to remind us that we will have a need to have endurance. That we are going to need to persevere. And that if we do that, if we have endurance and if we persevere, that we can have confidence that when we have done the will of God, we are going to receive a promise. Right, we're told that God is not looking for those that are going to shrink back, but, but that he desires righteous men and women who are willing and, and able to live by faith. That God finds pleasure in this. And of course, it is still Hebrew, so there still is some warning there. Right, there still again is this re- reminder of how dangerous it is to continue to let sin fester in your life as a Christian. Right? It tells us that if you shrink back, it says if your faith is not strong, you might just fall back onto what was old. And if you start putting your faith in something other than Christ, the, the language is pretty clear there. It says that you will be destroyed. But those who keep the faith, who live by faith, Those are the ones who are going to preserve or save their souls. And as always, like we've said before, this this document of Hebrews, it was written as one flowing thought. There there is no break in in the author's thought process between verse 39 of chapter 10 and verse 1 of chapter 11. This is all one continuing thought. So naturally, if what we just read tells us that the ones who are going to preserve their souls are going to be the ones who have faith, it would be logical that we need to understand what faith is. What type of faith it is that God is expecting of us. Right? Based on what we just read, this seems like it's something that we cannot afford to get wrong. So now we're going to look at the first three verses of Hebrews 11. Verses 1 through 3, it says this. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So faith defined by scripture is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You see, God's people, they have always been judged based upon their faith. And it was always faith that was demonstrated by their actions. The rest of chapter 11, the rest of this chapter is going to give us example after example of amazing men and women who God called and who believed and who acted in faith. And as we look at many of these examples of faith displayed in previous generations, um, we really should start by just looking at the first kind of baseline example of faith that was just given to us in verse 3. So what we just read in verse 3, it says, verse 3, I should say, tells us that by faith, we should understand that the universe was created by the word of God. That it was not made out of what already existed, but it was spoken into existence by a living God. Right? I find this really interesting that this is the first example that's given to us. That this is kind of a, a baseline of faith that is presented to us right here at the beginning of the chapter. You see, a couple weeks ago uh, in our young adult small group, the, the question was presented in, in again, a, a nice way, but, but the question was presented, you know, do I need to believe in things like the, the biblical creation story, right? Do I have to actually believe in, in, in maybe something like the story of, of Noah and his ark if I'm going to be a good Christian, Right, essentially, the question that was asked is, is can't I just believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to earth and that he died for my sins? But, but as we kind of mentioned a few weeks ago, in a way, kind of separate or divorce myself from some of those, those Old Testament stories that are a little bit more difficult for me to believe in. And what I love here, what we read at the beginning of chapter 11, is you don't have to take my answer for it. You don't have to take my word for it. Right off the bat, the author of Hebrews gives us an answer. He says, no, you can't. See, because there's a specific type of faith that God is after inside of us. And it's certainly not a type of faith that allows us to, to pick and choose what we are going to put our faith in. It's not a type of faith that allows us to pick and choose what we are going to have hope for. It's, it's a complete understanding that we have to put our faith in, in the, the entire testament that we are given. We, we can't just put our faith in, in the parts that we like or, or put our faith in the parts maybe that we think we can prove with science. If God's word says that out of nothing, that God created everything by just the power of his words, then I must have faith that that is indeed the way that it went. Right? I, I can't justify, I can't try to create my own creation account that, that melds with the opinions of the day. Right? If I start doing that, I'm no longer having faith in what I can't see. Right? So my answer, the same answer that I gave the other night when we were in our young adults class, is that my faith requires me to believe every word of this book. Because for me, I, I, I know personally that, that 
as soon as I let, whether it be the science of the day or, or maybe just my own prideful logic, determine which parts of, of the Bible that I'm willing to put my faith into, I've started down a slippery, slippery slope. Right? I know that once I've done that, I'm no longer walking by faith as someone who has assurance that his soul is going to be saved. Right? For me, once I've made that step, I would be afraid that I'm in danger of becoming someone who might shrink back. And that I would put myself in danger of being lost. That I would get too far away from that warning sign that we talked about last week and I would no longer be able to be rescued easily. Because if I can come to the conclusion that the world was not created by God and in the fashion that he told us it was in his word, is it really then that big of a deal for me to, to say, well, maybe he didn't create them male and female. Maybe it really is a spectrum. Or if I convince myself that Noah didn't really build that ark, he didn't really build a boat that supported the lives of his family and all of those creatures... Is it that far of a hop, skip, and a jump for me to then say, well, does God really hate sin? You see, this slippery slope, it starts, and where does it stop? Because all of a sudden I'm saying, did Moses really receive those commandments from God? Did, did God really choose David to be king? Did God really shut the mouths of those lions for Daniel? Did Elijah really hear that voice in the cave? Did Abraham ever even really receive a promise from God? Right? It leads me to this place where if I don't have faith in anything that happened over these huge swaths of Scripture, it is not so crazy to think that I might be just around the corner from, from saying, you know, a virgin birth? I don't know about that. That doesn't seem very believable. Or, or resurrection from the dead? I mean, I don't think I can prove that. That doesn't make any sense to me. And now, don't, if you're watching on YouTube, don't clip those two sentences. And I don't want to see you post that and say, local preacher says he doesn't believe in the virgin birth. All of this is a really long way for me to say this. Apologetics are great. Being able to defend your faith with facts is great. But at the end of the day, it's always going to come down to a conscious decision that you have to make. Will you have faith in God's words and his ways, or are you going to shrink back? Are you going to fall back only onto what the world says is provable, or what aligns with the world's truth? Right? If someone asks me, are you one of those Christians that believes all of those tall tales in the Old Testament, do you really believe that those are all factual events, my answer will always be yes. Okay, that's the part that you can clip and you can turn into a 30-second sermon. You see, for me, I know this is the only way that my faith works. I have to have full confidence that God's word is perfect, that God's word is without error. Right? If it says that Jonah spent several days in the belly of a fish, good enough for me, he did. If God's word tells me that Methuselah lived to be over 900 years old, that's fact to me. Keeping our faith unwavering is essential, and it's essential for our own safety. 
Now, if there's anyone who questions whether God's people have always been steered by the same kind of unbridled faith, this entire chapter, as we're going to, to go through it today, it's a timeline of faith that stretches out over the entirety of human history. It's going to start by talking to us about Abel, the son of Adam, and, and, and it's going to carry us all the way through you and I today. Today we're going to, to read about, or I should say be reminded about, some, some crazy examples of faith. Who out of context, one might even say, are reckless examples of faith. Examples of men and women, and how their faith shaped their story, and in turn, shaped ours. The first example that we're given in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, in, in verse 4, it goes all the way back to Genesis 4. And the first thing it tells us here is that by faith, Abel brought God an offering of animals from his flock. And this pleased God. But his brother, whose offering did not please God, became jealous, and he cut Abel's life short. Right, Cain kills Abel, even though Abel had greater faith. Then in verse 5, it gives us the example of Enoch, whose faith pleased God. Back in Genesis chapter 5, and according to, to Jewish tradition, Enoch never tasted death, that God took him away. And then the, the timeline that's just getting started, the author, he pauses, and he gives us another helpful reminder in verse 6. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He throws us then right back into this timeline of faith in verse 7. He says, Noah was warned by God about a coming event that was not yet seen. And out of his fear for God, he began building an ark well before one drop of rain would ever fall. He then tells us about Abraham who Abraham obeyed God, who he went to a place that he was called to go, even though he did not know where he was going, how he would get there. Sarah, his wife, who by faith conceived, even in her old age, right, by her faithfulness, a great multitude of descendants would be born that would rival the stars in the sky. And then again, he interjects into his timeline in verses 13 through 16. And he says this, he says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps open, if you put a little mark next to verse 13, because we're going to come back to verse 13 at the end, after we finish our history lesson here. He goes right back into his timeline of faith. He, he, he talks about Abraham again reminding us of how by faith Abraham was prepared to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. Right? The, the very one who the promise was to be fulfilled through, this promise to make him a great people, was to be delivered through. 
But by his faith, if God says it was so, that was enough for him. He believed, Abraham always believed that God would make a way, even up to and including if that meant Isaac had to be raised from the dead, God would never go back on his word. Abraham's faith was astonishing. It then tells us that by faith, Isaac would bless Jacob and Esau. Just as by faith in God's promises, Jacob would bless the sons of Joseph. Because of their faith in God, Moses' parents hid him away from the king's edict to kill the Israelite babies. And then as a man, Moses would also have to have enough faith to make the choice to, to leave the comforts of the palace life as this adopted royal that he was, but, but to actually go and pursue life with his own people. It tells us that it was because of faith that at the first Passover, blood was sprinkled over the doorways so that death would pass over the Israelite homes. And that on their way out of town, it was by faith that the Israelites uh, crossed over the Red Sea. He tells us it was by faith in God's plan, even when common sense might say different, it was by faith that the walls of Jericho were brought down. That it was by faith that Rahab was spared because she believed that God's people would honor their word to her. And then in verses 32 through 38, it says this. It says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. The author, <clears throat> excuse me, acknowledges he does not have enough time to list every example of, of men and women of great faith that are listed for us in our Old Testament. And the truth is, we don't have time to list them all either today. But he reminds us of these amazing things that, that men and women who had great faith were able to accomplish for God and through God. It says, even up to and including the point of loved ones being resurrected. But, all right, there always has to be a but in the book of Hebrews, it seems like. In that second half of verse 35, things took a very, very sharp right-hand turn, didn't they? It says, these amazingly faithful people who did all of these amazing things through their faith, he says, they, they still faced torture and mocking and floggings or beatings, that they would face chains and imprisonment, that they were stoned, sawn in half, killed by a sword, that they were destitute, sick, and mistreated. 
And you might be saying to yourself, now wait a minute, Daniel, I thought you told us that, that good things would happen to us if we just had enough faith. I hope you didn't hear me say that, because it's certainly not what I said. I don't think you've ever heard me say that from up here at this pulpit. We think back to what we read at the beginning of this message, at the end of chapter 10. We'll put it up on the screen again. It's verses 35 through 36. It says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Okay, there is a great reward, and there is a promise. Then verse 39, it says, But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve our souls. Right? These verses, they, they do very clearly, they promise us a great reward for our faithfulness. The reward that is promised to us is that our soul will be preserved, that we will have eternal life. Our faith in God and our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it does not promise us that your life here on earth is going to be perfect. It doesn't even promise that it's going to be long. It certainly doesn't promise that there's not going to be obstacles. What I want to make sure that, that you hear today is that your faith can be great and the cancer can still come back. Right? Your faith can be rock solid, and people may still mock and mistreat you. Your faith can be so strong that it is an example to others, and you may still face financial hardship. Right? Experiencing trouble in this life is not a sign that your faith is weak. It just isn't. Right, I know you can go on Instagram and TikTok and you can find all of these, these preachers that want to teach you that, that God's plan for your life is to have your faith increase so that he can shower you with health and shower you with wealth and, and, and just heap blessings upon your head. And God may very well do those things. I mean, let me be clear. God can do those things. But that is not the promise that his word gives us. And as I read this, this last week, I could not help but to think that for the same reason that, that this letter had to be written to these first century Christians, for the same reason that they need to be reminded of this is, is also the same reason that we need to be reminded of this as well. I've reminded you time and time again of the, the, the cultural context of what was about to happen to the, uh, to the Jewish people here in the coming years, that, that devastation and destruction was only years away from Jerusalem when this letter was being written. Right? We were only years away from this time when Rome was going to rise up against the city. And, and during this time period of war, suffering was going to be the norm of the day. Right? Hunger was going to be normal every day. Men were going to die. Faithful men were going to die in battle every day. You know, and, and because we have this bird's eye view to look back at history, we know that after all of this suffering, there was no happy ending. Right? This wasn't a Hollywood movie where the, the hero rode in at the last minute and kicked the Romans out of town. Rome's annihilation of Jerusalem, it was just that. It was an annihilation. It was complete devastation. It was as lopsided of a victory as you can imagine. Again, we've said before, tens of thousands of Jewish people dead, more, many more than that being evicted from their homes and cast out of the city. 
we need to remember that it is absolutely plausible that there were Jewish Christians who would read this letter and then just a few years later have to live through this horrible event or even would die in the midst of this horrible event. So I think, what if the letter that would have been delivered to them, what if it would have read something different? What if it would have said, hey, have faith like Abraham, and I promise you're going to live to a good old age. But then as you looked around in your daily life, you saw faithful men falling by the sword every single day. What would that have led you to believe? What if the letter that was sent to them said, hey, have faith like Sarah did in her old age, and you're always going to have a a happy home. But you're remembering this as you're fleeing from where the, 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 the flaming remains of your home used to be. If it would have said, have faith as strong as Moses, and you're always going to be on the right side of every battle here on earth, what would you have thought as you were watching from a distance as Roman soldiers desecrated God's temple? Right? What would you have been left to believe? Only one of two things is all you could believe. First would be, well, my faith must not have been strong enough. If I only would have believed harder than perhaps myself and the people that I loved, perhaps we would have been spared this horrible situation. And the second thing, the only other option it could possibly make you think is, well, you know what, maybe the stories in this Bible, maybe they aren't real. And if they're not real, well then, maybe this Jesus thing is not real either. Right? Maybe he was a good guy, a really good teacher, but did he really rise from the grave? Right? Is he really the Messiah? This is why teaching a gospel of prosperity is dangerous. I don't know if if you've noticed or not, but the world that we live in, very often, most days, kind of feels like it's going to hell in a handbasket. A, I don't know if I can say hell in a handbasket in church. B, I don't know why hell would be in a handbasket, so if somebody wants to look that one up for me, that would be great. I am not some crazy conspiracy theory guy. I I try my best to avoid that kind of stuff. I am certainly not standing before you today and falsely prophesying that what happened to the Jews 2,000 years ago is coming for us Christians in America today. I'm just simply pointing out that we do live in a world where, where violence and disease, and pride, and greed, and just, just evil in general, that they all seem to be gaining ground around us every day. Uh, I've, I've been alive for 39 years, and just in my 39 years of life, I, I can tell you that nothing surprises me anymore. Right? I'm not surprised by what's going to come next. My, my plea with you today, it's not to scare you into increasing your faith so that we can try to keep all of those evils at bay for as long as possible. But again, I, that's not the promise that we see made to us. The, the promise that is made is revealed to us in that verse that I asked you to mark, that I told you we would come back to later. The promise that's made to us is first revealed to us in, in uh, verse 13 of chapter 11, right, where it says, These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And it's concluded then as chapter 11 closes in verses 39 and 40, it says, And all these, though commended uh, commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, 
since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. All of these giants, these biblical giants of faith, all of them possessing this type of faith that's recorded for us as an example that we should strive for, he says all of them have passed away. And while they were here on earth, he says they were fortunate enough to just get a small glimpse into the glory that God had planned. But none of them are around now to see God's great plan for salvation for all people come to fruition. Right, This better that God had planned, this is for us. It's really easy for us to, to become jealous of the things that, that Abraham saw or, or to become jealous of the things that Moses accomplished. It's easy for us to look at somebody like David and look at his faith enviously. Perhaps you can't imagine having faith like Noah's and being able to accomplish something like he did. But what God's word is telling us is, is that you have been promised something better. Right, that now your faith, it doesn't just award you with esteem among men. It does not just promise that your name is going to be recorded for generations to come. Right now we live in this time where the veil has been torn, where death has been defeated. And your faith now, it means that you are going to be able to be present to witness the end game. It means that, that you get to live in relationship with God. That you get to experience now the gift of the Holy Spirit. You live with the assurance that because of your faith, your faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross, that you are going to be granted the gift of eternal life with the Father. Right? That is the promise that we are made. The promise is not peace on earth. The promise is for peace in, for eternity in heaven. So again, what I would implore you today is to have faith in every word of this book. Have faith in every chapter. Keep faith in every word that it blesses you with. And then also express that faith in your actions. When I think back on all the great men and women who are mentioned in this chapter, right, none of them had a faith that was quiet, that was just purely a personal experience. Not, not for one of them. They all lived their faith out loud. And for many of them, the fact that they were living their faith out loud, that was exactly what was putting them in harm's way. Right? Abel gave God a great offering, but it made his brother jealous enough to kill him. Abraham left, again, all that he knew. <clears throat> uh, and he followed God's promise wherever it might lead. Moses had faith, again, that, that led him to leave that life of luxury. And Moses would place himself in harm's way again and again and again. Right? Rahab's actions that were spurned by faith would have cost her her life if she would have been discovered. You know, David, we only know him as a man after God's own heart because his actions that were driven by his faith. Right, that's the real challenge of this chapter for us, is that we have to exist in this world that, yes, is indeed becoming harsher and harsher towards God every day. But we have to exist in this world while we maintain a faith that isn't just personal. Right? It can't be a faith that is just restrained to these walls. Our, our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord 
right? We have to come to, to, to a place where being loyal to him and being loyal to God's ways becomes more important to us than our present situation. That expressing our faith in a way that would make God proud is the most important thing to us. Our faith has to be an even stronger pull than our fear as to what the world may do to us. Right? We remember that we are saved by faith, but that our faith is always expressed in our works. Pray with me.